Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. All right, well, we, we are in our last sermon on the Ten Commandments. Um, I hope it was edifying and, and uplifting and, and strengthening for you. Um, I hope maybe that, that you can see the law in a, in a new light. Uh, we're going to talk about that at the end of this sermon, the, the, the law, which we've kind of uh, weaved throughout this, this series. And I hope and pray that through the Ten Commandments, you can see the grace of God a little clearer. I hope that as the law in the last 12 weeks has, has kind of done what it should be doing, which is bearing down on our hearts and minds and showing us that we fall short. I, I hope and I pray that, that you haven't just left, left it there, that you've looked to Christ and the grace of, of Christ and the cross and the resurrection, because ultimately that is what the law should steer us towards. want to take a little trip here down the last uh, 20 years. And for some of you younger people in the room, um, this is all you've ever known. But for us who are older, um, you know that, that life changed in 2006. Life changed in 2006. And I say you know that, and you're probably thinking, what do you mean, Pastor? Life changed in 2006. Well, let, let me give you a little history here. In 2006, Facebook became open to the general public. So maybe you were one of those early adopters in 2006. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you just got on Facebook. Maybe you're like me, and you swear it off, and you're like, I won't go near Facebook. Um, but whatever the case is, in 2006, Facebook went from being on college campuses to the public. Also in 2006, Twitter was launched. Anyone in here on Twitter? You can raise your hands. A few. Okay, not, not a lot. Myra. <laughs> That's great. All right. Um, so 2006, tw Twitter is launched. Um, then comes the real bomb, 2007. In fact, in June of 2007, the iPhone is introduced to the world. Now, I know many of us in here, many of the younger um, people, uh, you don't know anything but an iPhone, but for, for us older people, that changed life. It changed life. It changes how you interact uh, with the world. In 2010, Instagram was launched. And then you can just keep going on. I'm sure I'm outdating myself with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's TikTok and there's, uh, you know, whatever, the, the other ones. And my kids know them. 
So we, we live in a different world today. Um, social media has, has changed everything. And, and I, I realize I'm talking to, to people who have different social media habits in here. Some of you may use it more. Some of you may use it less. But what social media has allowed us to do is we can endlessly scroll through, you name it, TikTok, Instagram, whatever you're into. Okay, if you're into gardens, you can go on Instagram and just scroll eternally and look at gardens. If you're into bookshelves like me, believe it or not, you can go in onto Instagram and scroll and look at bookshelves with books and offices endlessly. Um, whatever you are into, if you want to look at vacation homes, vacations, weather, a gym routine, kitchens, houses, cars, outfits, you can go on social media and endlessly look and get ideas for these things. And why am I saying all of that? Some of you may have drawn the connection, some of you may not have drawn it. Essentially, now today, in this moment, you have more opportunities and are being conditioned to break the 10th commandment than any generation in the history of the world. I'll say that again. You and me and in this generation has more opportunity and is being conditioned through marketing and advertising and algorithms to break the 10th commandment more than any generation before. I am not saying that generations before did not break the 10th commandment. I am just saying that we live in a new day and an age where everything is tugging at you. Look at your neighbor's stuff. Look at your neighbor's house. Look at your neighbor's, uh, again, you, you name it, gym routine. Look at your neighbor's, look at how funny your neighbor is. And you can just scroll and scroll and scroll and not stop. And we have to remember that that is doing something in our hearts when we do that. And in, in particular, it doesn't mean it definitely is causing you to break the 10th commandment, but it, let's say there's a high percentage that that is getting your heart to covet somebody else's life, somebody else's home, somebody else's uh, just general disposition, somebody else's humor, somebody else's outfits, somebody else's physique. It is so easy for us today to covet. Let's start with our, our text. Exodus 20:17. this is the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, so this is the commandment we are looking at today. Uh, just a, a little unpacking of the word covet. The word covet is um, it's a desire. And we're going to look at desire because desire for things is not necessarily wrong or sin. But coveting is a desire. It's a longing and a craving where it becomes idolatrous. And in particular, it's a longing and a craving 
for somebody else's stuff. And again, you, you might say, well, I'm not coveting someone else's stuff. It's just, I like that house, or I, I like that um, uh, whatever, that, that garden, or I like that outfit. Um, but we have to remember that when we do that, we can like those things, but if we are lusting after it, if we are longing for it, um, we are violating the Tenth Commandment. So I want to ask you, after that introduction, how are you guarding your heart here in your life? How are you guarding your heart here? Often we talk about guarding our heart when it comes to um, like sexual immorality or you know, adultery, how we guard our marriage and guard our heart. But I want to ask again, how are we guarding this morning on the 10th commandment? Because this is the most acceptable sin in our culture. In fact, with marketing and advertising, there's whole industries that are aimed at us to get you to desire something you don't have that is what somebody else has. And often we don't even think of this as sin, but the Bible calls this out as sin. So how are you doing with this? Do you find, and I, I don't know, you're, we're all in different places. I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, maybe there's one other person, two other people. I'm probably one of the only people that can covet bookshelves in here. Does anyone else look at bookshelves in offices? Okay, there's a, right, there's other people. Okay, we can talk about that after. Um, I, you know, but what is it for you? What is it for you? Can, can, do you have trouble watching HGTV and you look at the house and they're, they're showing the house and you're like, ah, I'm angry now that I don't have that house. Like you watch it and you're mad and it just gets things kind of up within you. Um, what is that thing for you? Do you find yourself looking at other people's spouses and thinking, I wish I had him or her? I wish my husband or my wife was like that. Or do you look at other people's gifts and say, hey, I wish I could speak like her. I wish I was funny like her. I wish I could write like her or him. I wish I was pretty like her. I wish I was stronger and had more muscles like him. That's all coveting. And again, this is, this is rampant in our culture. It's rampant in, in, in everything that we breathe and take in. At the core of covenant is, I don't trust what God has given to me. So that's the core of covenant. We're going to look at here in a moment at the um, every commandment we're taking. Okay, it's a prohibition against, but if it's a prohibition against, there's a positive um, uh, a positive on that side of the negative. So, you know, again, an example, um, do not murder is the don't, that's the negative, but the, the positive is we value all of human life. So there's a positive to this commandment, which we're going to look at in a minute. But I want to just get you thinking here. Think about the Ten Commandments for a moment. They start with have no other gods, little g, before me. That's commandment number one, and then it just rolls down from there. And then we get to the last commandment, tenth commandment, and it is don't look at your neighbor's stuff, my paraphrase, and want it. Don't get idolatrous about 
things. And if you think about that in light of the first commandment, have no other gods, little g, before me. When we covet someone else's stuff, when we covet, we're making an idol out of that thing and we're actually placing a god before God. And we all do it and we all need to check our hearts here. Psalm 73, 25 to 26, the psalmist says this, whom, I have, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So we have to ask, can we say with the psalmist that there's nothing we desire besides God, or another way to say that, that God is our ultimate? Or would we have to confess this morning that we want something more than God, that we Keep thinking, hey, if I get this one thing, then I'm going to be content. The psalmist says, my, my flesh and my, my heart may fail. That's the idea here that anything, any of God's gifts, be it your spouse, be it your children, be it your home, it all can be gone in a moment. In the blink of an eye, it all can be gone. But there is only one thing that can't be gone, and that is God. That is your faith in God. But for that matter, does it, does, is it wrong if we desire things? And, and I'm going to make the case that it's certainly not wrong to, to want and desire things. We are not um, Gnostics by that. This has come out in a few of the sermons. We are not um, like the Gnostics who said matter is evil and spirit is good. That's not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is that God has made all of this. We're made in the image and likeness of God and his creation is beautiful and we should and can rightly enjoy it. But we're going to get to that. So what is the positive side of the commandment not to covet? I think you're probably all thinking of this. Um, it, it is contentment, gratitude and contentment. So to be content with what we've been giving, given and to be happy in that and joyful in that and not lusting after something we don't have. Let's go to Philippians 4, 11 to 12. The Apostle Paul talks about contentment. And he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul here is saying a few things. Let, let's look. Um, first of all, he's saying he's learned how to be content. Okay, being content and learning how to be content is a process. It does not just happen. It doesn't happen even once you come to faith in Christ. It is not all of a sudden, I don't have these urges and these desires for things that I don't have that have crossed the line and become sinful. No, we have to learn how to be content. 
The second thing in this passage that that we look at is he says, I know how to be content when I'm low and when I'm high, abounding, when, when I have plenty, when I have abundance, and when I'm hungry and in need. So, so the Apostle Paul had experienced all of this. He had times where he had stuff and had things, and he, he was content in that. And then there were times where he was sitting in jail with absolutely nothing, probably in a very small, dank, wet cell, maybe smelling and, and, and just with of urine and just disgusting. And he says, I have learned how to be content even in that. When it comes to contentment, we often look at it as external circumstances lining up to make us happy. The problem with externals being our measure of contentment is externals can change at any moment. At any moment. Um, Jeremiah Burrell says, says this of that idea of externals. He says, um, to be content as a result of some external thing is like warming a man's clothes by the fire. But to be content through an inward disposition of the soul is like the warmth that a man's clothes have from the natural heat of the body. So let's just look at that for a moment. He, He says that if we're content on externals, it's like going up to a fire. So imagine this for a moment, a very cold night. You're very cold. Somebody's having a fire, a bonfire. You walk up to the fire and you can feel that heat. And it feels good. And it it warms your clothes, it warms you. But then you walk away from that fire for five minutes, ten minutes, and and you're cold again, right? You need that fire to stay warm. And he says that that's like contentment. If you're somebody that's looking at your externals and, hey, I can't be content unless A, B, C, and D, you're like the man who goes to the fire, warms himself up, When A, B, C, and D don't happen, you're all of a sudden not content. But he's saying there's a different kind of contentment, and it's the inward disposition of the soul. And that idea is it's the warmth of the body. It's coming from within and warming the clothes. And no matter where you go in that situation, you're going to be warm. You're going to be content. So I would, I would just ask you this morning, think about your life. Does your contentment come from externals? Maybe a better way to say it is if you're going into a weekend and you've got things going on that weekend that you don't want to be doing, are you going into that weekend all kind of just inside in turmoil and on the, pot, uh, on the flip side, if you're going into a weekend and you're like, oh, it's all lining up here. I got Saturday. There's nothing going on. Going out to eat to a good dinner. I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my externals right here. Like not, not much going on. Got a good dinner happening. Weather looks good. We got some space. We can go for a walk, go for a run. See, if we 
are relying on circumstance to find contentment, we've already lost. You've already lost. It's just a matter of time. But if we rely on Christ, inward Christ in us, we actually have a shot. In 2010, 2010-2011, uh, I, I began sensing a, a call to, to ministry. Um, didn't quite know what to do with it at, at that time. Um, was teaching a little, but, but not as much as I wanted to. I was working a job that um, seemingly I was being pushed in, in a direction that I didn't want to go in at, at my job and had all these inward desires uh, to, to do ministry. And I had massive discontent in that season. And again, it was maybe a five, six-year season. It was a long time of waiting. And it was finally in the sixth year, God kind of metaphorically wrestled me to the ground. And I had to get to a point where I just finally said, okay, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. I don't need this. I, I look around and look at my life. You've given me many things. Um, I have Christ. I'm good. And I finally had peace. I finally had peace. And I don't know if this is just a coincidence or if this is maybe how God works with, with the saints. It was after that, shortly after that peace, where he said, okay, you're up. I didn't even want it at that point. I didn't care. I had finally come to contentment in my life with, hey, it is what it is. This is the life you've given me. Um, I'll do whatever you want, Lord. If you want me doing this the rest of my life, I'll do this, even though I have this desire. And it was finally when I came to that point of contentment that he said, okay, go. Now you're ready. And, and I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning. Um, that even though it was a desire for ministry for me, I was in idolatry. I, it was an idolatrous discontent of wanting to do it. Um, so I don't know what that thing is for you that you think, hey, if I get this, I'm finally going to be content. If I have this thing or this person in my life or this job, I'm finally going to be content. And I would just say to you this morning, what God wants for you is to be content in the situation he has placed you in at this moment with everything around you. It, it may not be what you want, but he wants you to be content with that. As Christians, when we look to Christ, God shines his light on our, our hearts. That's a lot of what this Ten Commandments series has been. Like, hey, the, the, the law is like an x-ray machine. It, 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 it cannot save us. The law can't save us. But the law looks at us and says, hey, you got a problem here? You got a problem here? You got a problem here? And one of the, the problems that, that we all have in, in this commandment is that, that desire, that idolatrous desire for our situation to change or to get somebody else, something that somebody else has, which is coveting. Ecclesiastes 3.11, the writer says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You and I, by our Creator, by the Lord God, by Yahweh, have placed in our hearts, and, and that's a metaphor, not your, 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 your being, your soul, eternity. A desire to know God is placed in your heart and in my heart. And what we often do, and we're all guilty here, is we, we take that longing and we just direct it towards something other than God. We take that longing, that eternity that's been placed in our heart, and we say, but if I only had, and you name it, fill in the blank for everyone in this room, it's probably different. If I only had that, then I would be content. And the Bible says that's idolatry. That's not putting God first. So we have to recognize, we have to know our own hearts. We have to know when we think that we need and we want something, that maybe that's something going, gone wrong. Maybe it hasn't gone wrong. Maybe it's a real desire that we need fulfilled. But even if it's good, it can go wrong. You can have a desire for a wife or a desire for a husband, and that can turn into idolatry very quickly. God needs to be First, everything else falls into place. In the same book, Jeremiah Burroughs goes on. He says, many men and women are discontented. And the truth is, they don't know why. They think this and the other thing is the cause. But a man or woman who knows their own heart will soon find out where the root of their discontent lies. I can't stress enough. Watch your heart. Look at your heart. Look at your motivations. Be willing to say, that wasn't good. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is not always going to lead us where God wants us. Know your heart. Know your discontent. And, and look at it. And pray about it. And think about it. Okay, But don't do it so much that you're not looking to Christ. We look to Christ and then Christ shines the light on our hearts. So back to the, to the question, does God not want us to desire things? And, and the answer is no, I don't believe that that is the case at all. Um, but is cessation of desire the answer like the Buddhists say? So the Buddhists would say, hey, um, here's... The, the worldview uh, of, of how you should be looking at, at life. Um, first of all, all of life is suffering. So this is the four noble truths of Buddhism. All of life is suffering. Second truth, the cause of all of our suffering are our desires. So the third truth is, well, if you want to end suffering, you have to end your desire. Get rid of it. And the fourth is there's a path to end that desire. And, and we just wholeheartedly reject that. Although that creeps into some Christianity, right? Like I'm going to deny myself so much, I'm going to give myself no pleasures ever. Um, that is not the, the Christian way. 
Um, that, that could be called fasting, and it could be for a season. But the Christian way is to take what God has made and to say this is beautiful. If, it, if it's good and it's not sin, and if you can enjoy it, to enjoy it. Augustine in, in The City of God talks about this being ordering our loves, that we have to order our loves properly. What we love, um, it's okay to love your children, okay? But, it, but it's not okay to love your children more than God. It's okay to love your spouse, but it's not okay to love your spouse more than God. And he would even go on to say, sometimes we don't love things that we should, and we love things that we shouldn't. So we shouldn't love sin. We shouldn't love um, you fill in the blank on the sin. We shouldn't love sin, and sometimes we do. Or we should love justice, and sometimes we could care less about justice. We don't love it. Um, he says, but, but living a just and holy life requires one to love things. So we should love things. We should desire things. That is to say in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. To lust after our neighbor's things, to covet what we do not have, is to disorder our loves. God wants us to be content with what he has given us, not to look at our neighbor and say, I wish I had their life. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. So how do we find contentment? Well, I would ask, ask you not to answer out loud, but do you, do you consider yourself a content person? If you had to answer that, and maybe if you're here with a friend or here with a spouse, ask them, hey, do you think I'm a content person or am I grumbling all the time about my life and what um, I've been given? Am I happy with what I have been given? Maybe ask somebody else that um, to see what they say. Kids, it, do you look at your friend's house and say, hey, I wish I had that, or I wish my parents weren't so strict? Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. And get this, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Okay, let's pause there. Food and clothing. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Just, hey, if you have the necessities, if you can eat and you're clothed, you should be content. And, and I think we would probably all fail here, is my guess. Praise Lord, praise the Lord for Jesus and the cross, but we would all fail here. In fact, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so that's the writer of Hebrews is saying, number one, be content. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. This is, again, the opposite of coveting. This is the positive contentment. And then he goes on to say, for God has said, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what is the answer to coveting? Well, contentment certainly is the answer, but how do we become content? It is looking at the Lord and saying, hey, he's never going to leave me. I have everything. I have everything I need in, in Christ, in, in God. Can you say you're content with food and clothing? Can you say that you're content with food and clothing? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is, he warns us about laying up treasures on earth. And he says those things all can rust. They, they can all fade away. Um, he says you, you need to be rich towards heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. Think about the things above. And in fact, he goes on to say you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. And the word here, serve, the, the Greek is, is, is doulos, it's slave. And that carries with it this idea of worship as well. You cannot serve, you cannot worship God and money. And again, maybe it's not money, but it's comfort and it's things. Um, the Bible calls us to worship God and God alone. And, and so how do, we, how do we just put a nail or a, a, a stake in that this sin where we, we all know this is true in our own hearts. I, if you can be honest, you know it's true. Well, I think there are a lot of ways to do this and we don't have time to get into them today, but, but there is one way and it's all-encompassing. Jesus says in, in the same kind of paragraph that I've been just quoting from, Matthew 6, 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay. Jesus calls us to take, take your eyes off of food, clothing, homes, all this stuff. Um, that's going to be given to you. That's going to that's come. Put your eyes towards God. Seek him, seek his righteousness. That, that is what we're called to do. You want to be content. If you want to be a content person, that is the answer. Seek God above all things. He will give you what you need. Don't worry about building your kingdom. Lose your life for his sake, and you will find it. Spend your energy, your vitality, your resource in, in the kingdom, in kingdom work, in kingdom building, and he will give you, he will bless you. This is not prosperity gospel. This is just what the text says. All these things will be added to you, and you don't need to worry about what your neighbor has or what that guy has or what that girl has or what gifts that person has that you want. Just Take what he has given and use it to build the kingdom. This is the call to the Christian, that we seek intimacy with God, that we seek him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul.
See, without that, without that intimacy, all of the Christian walk just becomes works. White-knuckled obedience to do, do, do. And that is not the gospel. We operate out of God's love. We've been ransomed. We've been saved. We've been brought from death to life. We owe all of our life to him. The only proper response is to to seek him with everything that we have, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. All right, so let's let's wrap up uh, the series here. If you remember... We started the Ten Commandments with the idea, trying to to break that that old way of thinking that the Old Testament is is just law and God is a God of wrath and he's kind of this cranky Old Testament God and in the New Testament, it's all about grace and all about love um, and kind of pitting the, the two against each other. And what we looked at in the beginning of the series was Egypt or Israel was in bondage. They were in slavery. They were being brutalized by the Egyptians. And God comes in and uses Moses to to deliver them out of that situation. And, And they watch as they're delivered. God brings them through the Red Sea. The sea opens up. They walk through on dry ground, and they've got Egypt right behind them, um, thinking, that number one, that they're all going to die. They walk through, and they look as the water has swallowed up the Egyptians, and they look, and they, they look and see just dead bodies kind of strewn all over the shore. God had redeemed them, and it's after this that he gives them the law. Exodus 21 to 3. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he begins the Ten Commandments with, I have redeemed you. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So God had delivered his people and then he gives them the law. So the law is good. We don't throw out the law. The law is good. In fact, Jesus comes along and he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And here we, let's pay attention here. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus comes along and he says, I am not doing away with the Ten Commandments. I am not doing away with the law. In fact, if someone comes along and says, you don't have to obey that. They're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I say that, and I say that knowing that all 
So much of Christendom today, especially in the United States, has taken the law and said, we do not need this anymore. We are under grace. We don't need the law. We can live any way we want, and that is just wrong. That is not what God is calling us to do. Jesus has come not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And if you remember in the beginning of this series, we looked at there's three types of law. You have the moral, the Ten Commandments, moral law, that stands, it still stands. And then you have the civil law. Israel was a nation, it was a theocracy, and they had laws within their nation. Well, we are no longer a nation. The church is everywhere. It's in all nations. So that law has been fulfilled in the true Israelite, Jesus Christ. And all the ceremonial law, all the feasts and the sacrifices, and all of that was pointing towards Christ, and that is fulfilled. But the moral law still stands. Our relation to it has changed. Paul clearly says we are not under the law. We're not under it. It doesn't condemn us anymore. The relationship to the law has changed. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And you may have felt that over the last 12 weeks as, as we've taken the law and just kind of pressed it in uh, on all of us. Like, okay, hey, you think you, you haven't murdered? Well, Jesus says anger. And, and that's, that's the um, power of the law that shows us our sin. But he goes on to say, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. In a way that you did not, in a way that I did not, he kept it perfectly. And he paid the penalty that we deserved. He died on the cross and the wrath of the Father was poured out on him. The penalty for sin was absorbed by Jesus. And in Christ, the law no longer condemns you or me. But that doesn't mean that we don't obey it. We are now powered through the Holy Spirit. We've been given the means to obey the law in a way that before we had the Holy Spirit, we did not. If you do not know Christ, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you have no chance at obeying the law of God. It is through the Holy Spirit that we can obey. So at this time, we are going to take communion. If you do not call Jesus Lord, if you do not call Jesus Savior, we would just ask that you pass. Um, there's nothing special in the elements. It's bread and it's juice, and, and they represent uh, the body and blood of Jesus. But this is a special uh, ordinance or sacrament that we take together as believers um, in Jesus. So at this point, I would just ask that you come forward and, and take uh, the elements. And as you're doing this, think about your own heart. In particular, think about ways in which you break this commandment. Talk to God. Repent. Turn. Turn to him. As you think about some of those 
situational things that your heart believes that if you get, you'll be content. Let me read the words of Christ here. He says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. See, all of those things, all of those situations that you think if they change or if I get this, they, they spoil, they perish. They're here one day and gone the next. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is our true food. A relationship with him is what every human being needs. And even if you have a relationship with him, it needs to be front and center. It can't be on the sidelines. He, he wants all of you, all or nothing. And we have to remember that that longing in our heart that we often place on things is just eternity in our heart placed there by God for the Son, to know the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together. And likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink together. Heavenly Father, show us where we desire things more than we desire you. Convict us with that sweet conviction that comes through your Holy Spirit. Gently direct our hearts towards you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.